Are you ready for an open discussion with the best of the best and the best of what's next? Welcome to the Tony D'Urso Show. Join in on a great conversation today with some of the world's great influencers as they showcase great advice and techniques that made them the game changers they are today. Now, here's Tony D'Urso. Welcome and thanks for hanging out with us. Here's an entrepreneur who has an eye for opportunities. That's a little pun on words, which you'll get shortly. And also to clarify on our guests. Now, these are entrepreneurs just like you and I who made it to the top of their category. And I coined the term elite entrepreneurs many years ago, and I have a best-selling book by the same name. The word elite, it's a nice word to encapsulate someone who's made it to the top. And this has nothing to do with government by a few. I hope that's clear enough. We're going to talk about Finding Gold with Ian Foster. And later in this episode, we have an insider's brief about cyber attacks and what you can do about it. Stay tuned for that later in this episode. Now, many of us had to change gears when the events of 2020 hit the world. Opportunities are everywhere. They're boundless. How aware are you when they show up? And while we're at it, this is all about helping you and your friends turn your vision into reality. We want to help you get very successful at growing your business to a high, sustainable level. What happens when the world turns upside down? Do you look for a new business or do you stick to your guns and fix what you have? It's always choices. So what do you do? Well, here's someone who saw a recent opportunity and turned that into a thriving seven-digit business very quickly. Meet Ian Foster. He dives for gold in Alaska, but that's not his real business. He saw a need to improving human connection and developed something that you need to know about, a simple and better video camera. Let's get into it. Hi, Ian. Welcome to the Tony D'Urso Show. Thanks, Tony. Appreciate the introduction. Ian, we're all looking forward to finding gold. Perhaps physically, but probably better for our audience, we want to find gold in opportunities. And I just absolutely love your story. So perhaps you could tell us how did it all start for you? Yeah, well, there's a lot of, I have a lot of sideways movement in my resume. And so trying to make a linear, you know, story of it is sometimes challenging, but um, I, I've never had less than two or three jobs. And um, I came up to Nome about 15 years ago with an opportunity to dive for gold. And it sounded crazy. And it's kind of opportunity I was looking for. And um, my first summer up here in Nome didn't pan out very well, uh, pun intended. And um, I mean, I saw gold on the bottom of the ocean. I was in great shape, but I, it wasn't my operation. So someone controlled the opportunity. So I had to pivot back into social work. I worked for the state for a couple of years, got back into gold diving, ended up on a reality show, um, got back into social work, working for the tribe. And then got back into gold diving. So I've, I've kind of bounced around a little bit. But when 2020 hit, I was finishing up a master's in social work. I've always wanted to become a counselor. And so I had finally circled back um, to finishing up that degree. And so I was working with kids in a residential treatment center and uh, as a substance use counselor with these kids. And, uh, you know, 2020 hits. All of a sudden, we can't go in person to the internship sites anymore. And so I, I was forced to get online and do video conferencing in a counseling setting. I had been through, that was my second remote master's degree 
And so I'd been online a lot, you know, in video conferences, but um, I had never really cared about the rapport, uh, you know, in a video conference. And all of a sudden, these kids that I built rapport with that were doing the work, all of a sudden, those relationships were tested by, you know, the deficits in the technology. And um, the framing of the, of the problem was, I mean, it obviously sucked. That was that was the first thing. Like the kids were looking all over the place. I was looking all over the place. And that rapport that we had in person just wasn't there when we switched to remote. And so the framing of the question was, well, what can make this suck less? And back to your original intro, you know, when 2020 hit, I mean, all of us, it was out of most of our hands to do anything about, you know, the governmental decisions, the actual virus decisions that were happening. You know, I mean, none of it was out of most of our control to do much about the bigger picture stuff. And in my experience, I don't like feeling helpless, like things are just happening to me. And so I, I, you know, you go down to, well, what can I control? You get down to that baseline and that's a good feeling to know that, well, I can control this, you know, what's going on with my family, what's going on with my friends. Can I help people around me? Those are, you know, little things that we can control. Like there are people who are hoarding toilet paper. So one thing you could control is like, well, am I sharing my toilet paper with my neighbors? Are they okay with toilet paper? There's like, little micro decisions that you can make that help you feel like you have a certain amount of control in in very crazy circumstances. For me, it was, uh, well, how can I make video conferencing suck a little bit less? And so then I, you know, I, my work in, in mining, I, I didn't realize how applicable it was to a lot of other areas. I thought I was learning a, a dying art, but, um, what I've been doing up here is solving fairly complex problems with limited resources and sometimes employing duct tape and bailing wire to do it. And so I, I think outside the box when I look at problems. So when I, when I was looking at the video conferencing problem, I didn't see, you know, a camera on the screen edge. I thought, well, what if we could put that camera in the middle of the screen and, and all of a sudden we could look past the camera and see the person we're trying to talk to. And maybe that would approximate human eye contact a little bit better. And um, so I sourced the smallest USB enabled camera that I could find. I'm not rich, you know, and so I, I did what I could with the resources I had, um, but I am creative. That's a resource that I do have. And um, I, know, I know how to source things internationally. I've been doing that for years for my mining operations. So I found, you know, a, a decent prototype duct tape and uh, a zip tie entered to try to deliver it to the middle of the screen. That was my original flex tube. And then we spent all of 2020 developing that prop, that um, solution. There were about three or four other products that we had intended on launching that year. They were all travel related. And we had actually been pretty far down the development phase. But then, you know, travel shut down, you know, planes stopped flying. And all of a sudden we had to pivot really hard. So we looked at our list and we looked at, you know, what's the next best idea? And, you know, standard cam was it. That's very fascinating that sometimes our decisions with our opportunities are made for us. And I, I get that you were looking for something to do. You wanted to improve this. And now I want to know or understand better why. What was your purpose behind doing this? To make a lot of money? Why did you run down that road? Well, like I said, I mean, um, financially, you know, I have bills to pay. You know, I'm not, I can't be a philanthropist to my own passion projects yet i would love to be able to do that but i mean the initial impetus for the center cam was i'd had these relationships severed and i thought that 
potentially maybe just maybe I could develop a tool that would help people connect better online. As the dynamics of post-COVID recovery, are, and there's new strains coming out, so I don't even really know how to phrase where we're at, but we're very clearly, we're traveling more, we're reintegrating, we're, we're kind of getting back to you know normal. But as the new normal happens, it's clear that remote work is here to stay. It's clear that a lot of people aren't going back to the office. And when you think about you know, the pluses on it, it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to think about going back to where we were three years ago. From you know going into the office, and one of the things that provides meaning to what we're doing, and this is the original impetus to it, is how, if if I'm having this problem, I'm I'm just a dude, you know, I'm I'm not I'm not anybody, but if I'm a person that sees this as a major problem that I would love to have solved, so I can not feel so disconnected with the people that I care about, I I I gambled, my team gambled that maybe other people are having this problem too, and we didn't know. When we launched the Kickstarter and the Indiegogo, I mean, it was still a gamble and we didn't know if this was going to resonate with people. Um, but back to your original question, the reason we've gotten where we are is because it did resonate with people. We weren't the only ones that thought that this is a compelling problem. And more importantly, now that we're, we're so connected technologically you know, to our tech, we're missing that human connection. And I think that's resonating with people and an opportunity to you know, not disconnect from people, even while we're connected, you know, so connected technologically. I think that's the people thing that's resonating with people. And that's what drives us. That's our motivation. So an answer, you know, to your original question, I mean, we got to pay the bills. And um, I spend a lot of time in a profession that's really hard to make money at. So, you know, I'm trying to make up for a little bit of lost time as my friends were in their 20s and 30s, you know, getting into their careers and building up their 401ks. I've been taking big swings and I've struck out plenty of times, you know. We're talking about finding gold with Ian Foster and you can find him at thecentercam.com. Thecentercam, that's C-A-M, thecentercam.com. It's a really great camera. It caught my attention that then brought about this interview. I absolutely love the camera. I love what it does. I think it can really help improve the, the human connection the human interaction, the human engagement, because we are mostly or more video now than ever. So I really believe in it. Check it out and tell me what you think about it. For those that are seeing this on video, you'll see that Ian is using it and he's looking right at me and I really feel that connection a lot better. So I really feel that this camera is, it's got some great potential. So just a little plug on that. I like that. Now, we're talking about finding gold, and as I mentioned, there's real gold, and then there's golden opportunities. But I want to get this one out of the way. You started off kind of talking about you're a gold diver. You're in Alaska. You're diving for gold. You see the gold. Just kind of take us through maybe your best day or something on that. Well, so I was looking for opportunities to get up to Alaska. Alaska was on my vision board for probably four or five years before I actually found the vehicle. And I mean, how opportunities like that work for me is I, I identify the thing that I want to experience. And then when I finally actually look at it, then all of a sudden doors start to open up. When I really say, no, I'm, I'm going to get to Alaska within the next year, then all of a sudden doors opened up. And so I was actually working in a media job as a writer and I was moonlighting on the weekends at an underground mine. So I was working seven days a week for about three months between, 
you know, just interviews and write-ups and then going to work underground with some uh, salt of the earth sort of folks. And anyway, a friend of mine knew a miner who was gold diving up in Alaska and, you know, it's apples and fish is very different mining. It's totally different, but he thought miners and miners, I should introduce you guys. And here we are. So anyway, I, I heard about gold diving. This guy was living on a beach diving for gold in the Bering Sea. This is the Tony Tierso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Just ahead, the chat continues, Finding Gold with Ian Foster. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. Right this moment, the weather is absolutely perfect outside and we're enjoying warm days and cool evenings. Now, no matter what your weather is like, one thing is for sure. Verity has the right clothes for everything from surf to city, from climbing mountains, or hiking in the forest. One of my favorites. When you get a few of these clothing items, you'll know precisely what I mean. They're incredibly soft, comfortable, and always sustainably minded. Verity's a family-run brand making high-quality, timeless clothing with modern design and functionality. When you get a few of these, you'll know exactly what I mean. They've mastered the art of the perfect summer outfit. You know, effortless but still looks good, super comfortable but designed with intention, and it kind of looks vintage but it fits so well you feel that you just got them yesterday made just for you. That's what Faraday does best. My wife and I, we've got a number of Faraday clothing items, a lot of them actually, and each one is not just beautifully made. They feel great, they look outstanding, and it takes that stress away of trying to match things that go together. They all fit. Anything fits with anything. We absolutely love our Faraday clothing and always look forward to wearing them. Their clothes are thoughtfully crafted with this classic style. You're going to wear them over and over and over again. And Faraday is so committed to sustainability, they even have a lifetime guarantee of quality. They will fix or replace your clothes forever, no matter what so your clothes can last as long as your favorite summertime memories. Right now, Faraday is giving all the Tony D'Urso Show listeners 20% off. Let me say that again, 20% off. Head to FaradayBrand.com slash D'Urso and use code D-U-R-S-O at checkout to get this deal. That's code D-U-R-S-O at Faraday, F-A-H-E-R-T-Y, brand.com slash D-U-R-S-O for 20% off. Fairtybrand.com slash D-U-R-S-O. You got that right. F-A-H-E-R-T-Y B-R-A-N-D dot com slash D-U-R-S-O. Guys, make your wardrobe simple and effortless. Visit Fairty. You're listening to the Tony D'Urso Show with special VIP guests. Now, back to Tony and his guest. All right, we're back on the Tony D'Urso Show where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Today's show is Finding Gold with Ian Foster. And check out my Elite Entrepreneur interviews on Apple Podcasts, or you can find everything back to day one at Tony D-U-R-S-O dot com slash podcast and now back to the chat with ian and that sounded amazing it sounded like as crazy of an experience as you could possibly have and um so i i did what it took to get in the operation 
I had a video camera. He thought it would be a good idea to get footage of the story and maybe we could sell it to a network or something. And that's not really how it works, but I had a video camera. I knew how to run, run it. I knew how to edit video. And so I said, Hey, I can, I can do that. I can do that. And he's like, well, can you shoot underwater footage? And I was like, yes, even though I'd never shot underwater footage, but I, I can figure it out. Right. And how hard can it be? It's just shooting a camera, but underwater, which is very different, but I figured it out anyway. So about um, probably three weeks to a month after we met for the first time, I was on the beach in Nome, Alaska, diving for gold. So I saw that opportunity and just went for it. But um, as far as uh, what we actually do, if you vacuumed your living room, you know what we do. We just do it on a boat. So a diver goes down at the end of the hose where, you know, your vacuum goes to the floor and sucks up dust in your living room. Uh, a diver is actually underwater with that hose and sucking up material. So um, it's either a six, eight, 10 inch hose size diameter. And uh, the diver's running it, sucking up gravel. All that gravel goes up to the surface. It gets classified in a thing called a sluice box. So all the heavy material like black sand, like garnet, uh, gold, uh, lead, it gets stuck in the sluice box. And then all the lighter material gets pushed out like bigger rocks. Um, anything with kind of a flat profile usually gets pushed out. And then at the end of it, we're left with carpets. Um, we ring, we clean those carpets, like the spongy carpets that you have in your front door. That's called miner's moss. And we, we, uh, I, they used to use actual moss. That's where that came from. But um, luckily, you know, plastics, we have spongy plastic material now. Anyway, so we wring it out, clean it out, and we we're left to pan it. So we pan it at the end. And even people that don't gold mine, they always ask me about that. Do you, do you pan it? And this is their motion with their hands. And uh, yes, we end up panning it and then we're left with gold. So a good day. I mean, over the course of a summer, it's kind of like a sales job. Like you'll have, you know, two or three days where you don't get anything. And then you'll have two or three in a day. And at the over the course of a month, you usually make your paycheck. It's the same way with gold. Sometimes you have a, a poor day, but then you have a, a day where you're getting, you know, two or three ounces in a day. Um, it depends on the equipment you're running too. You know, the smaller, the, the less material you're running, the less you're making. But the more material you're running, the more it costs you to build the equipment to actually run it. So it's just kind of a, you know, cost benefit analysis of people with their budgets and their risk levels. But I've run medium sized suction dredges for almost 15 years now. Average day, I'm expecting to get an ounce and a half, two ounces a day. We only get 50 dive days in a summer though. So now you know the math equation. It sounds exciting, but it's also a tremendous amount of work for perhaps just not a whole lot of money when all the expenses and everything else yeah. uh, gets taken out. So I could have I done a number of different things if I was just going to go out and make, make more money. I could have done pretty much anything else probably would have made me more money than this. It was a uh, and I don't know why it was, it was really compelling. I uh, haven't been able to look away from it. It's been an amazing adventure. And once I got started, I just love doing it. And it's different than gold fever. It's kind of opportunity recognition. And, and I love the skills that I built while doing it. I just, I love the lifestyle more than anything. Well, yeah. And it's, it's a lot of fun to just find gold. It just, it just sounds like something that we all want to do. <laughs> we want to find gold. And there's my segue into opportunities, perhaps the real gold for us entrepreneurs. 
And one thing I want to make sure I ask, um, perhaps my questions are a little bit out of sync, but that's okay, is with the center cam, you developed it, you put it together because you wanted that better human connection with who you speak with. Okay, so what have you noticed now that you have it in your interviews or your talks with people? What's changed? And uh, tell us about that. Well, it's to the point now that, uh, I mean, I get feedback all the time. You know, people see me looking at them and I appreciate your feedback from earlier. I am using it right now and I'm looking straight at you. And, and so I'm not having to make choices, you know, with screen edge webcams, you have to look away and then look back down, you know, to make people feel like you're looking at them. Um, so I, I've noticed a difference, but it's to the point now I've used it so much that I don't, it, I look, I'm just having a normal conversation with somebody online. And when I really notice the difference is when I'm just working on my laptop and I don't have a center cam there and I have to actually have to look away because I know proper protocols are looking into the camera lens when you're trying to like connect with somebody and it's ironic, but you're actually looking away from the person. And I, I, I've trained myself to do that just as a video conference, you know, maybe not expert, but professional. And, um, so yeah, that's when I really notice the difference is when I don't have it available and I have to go back to what it, it used to be. I notice a huge difference there. Yeah, it, it makes it makes all the difference, especially when you're playing back or watching a, a video is where you really notice it the most, not necessarily on videos that you make. Speak, I'm speaking from experience, but I watch videos all the time mm -hmm. on different platforms and it makes a difference when the person is looking at me, at the camera, at the lens. It seems to make things more interesting as well. Okay, so we've gone to that point and the difference that that's made, and we've talked about opportunities. So you took this, you put it on the market, and you raised a lot of money really, really quickly. So tell us how to do that. And obviously, your gold mining days didn't affect that. So you're new at this, but here you are. You just raised a lot of money. So I'd like to learn more about that. Yeah, there's challenges that come from fast growth as well. You know, when I started the Kickstarter, I had a couple of advisors who were really knowledgeable, but I was doing everything. I, I shot and edited all the video, all the marketing pieces. I figured out Facebook advertising. I figured out how to, you know, launch on Kickstarter. And that's not just like having a business name and a checking account number and like putting a video up. I mean, there's, there's a whole science to the pre-launch. And so I spent basically the fall of 2020 figuring out how to launch, you know, on a crowdfunding site. I mean, I, I basically had to figure all this stuff out. I'd never done any of it. You know, I would shot an edited video and I knew how to tell a story. Um, but I just trusted that I would be able to figure out stuff as I figured it, you know, as the problems came up, I really thought there's a potential that I'm crazy here. You know, this is a, it was a big swing, but when you think of, when you articulate it, wait, you want to put a camera in the middle. It's like, you want to put a camera on a stick in the middle of the screen and you want people to buy that and that's going to help them. Like, what does that even mean? You know, and there's plenty of Facebook trolls that have said something to that effect with more, uh, more colorful language. So we've dealt with a lot of that stuff. But I mean, I, what, I mean, what drove me personally to go through all of that is I had had enough practice at businesses that were decent ideas, but I just stopped short of, you know, the end goal of, you know, product, either product to market or making them bigger. Um, I knew enough about the business 
building process to know a lot of times, even a bad idea, if you push it long enough and you, and you recalibrate, you can make a bad idea into a good idea. If you just listen to the market basically. And, um, and so this was one I wasn't going to look away from unless, you know, the Kickstarter said, this is really stupid. If we didn't hit our initial goal on Kickstarter, we wouldn't be where we are, but you know, the story and the tech, it resonated with people. And so we kept on going. And um, at the end of the day, I mean, if, if it really hadn't resonated, because I've, I've since met people that have been in video conference space for well over a decade and I'm a new entrant and I know my place in the universe. I'm, I'm pretty aware of, um, of that and my limitations and our team's limitations. But there's people that thought of this a long time before we did, but the timing wasn't right. And it took a pandemic um, to put video conferencing in front of all of our faces and to open up the idea that maybe things could be a little bit better. I don't know that we could have done what we did in 2017. Maybe. I don't know that it would have hit nearly. I don't think it would have had nearly the impact. And, and I don't think it would have been nearly as compelling for people as it was in, you know, early 2021. Makes perfect sense. You took advantage of the opportunity. So because it started off initially and people started like rolling with it and supporting it, that was the impetus to continue going. Yeah, absolutely. I I don't know that. um, I mean, financially, I ran out of money about halfway through the Kickstarter. Like I I had to borrow money to pay for the marketing. And um, and that was right when we had a, a Facebook ad hit and go viral. And that's when you need to hit the gas on marketing. And I just about ran out of money at that time. I had to borrow money to pay for the Facebook ads to blow it up. And that was when I realized, okay, no, this is something like things don't go viral unless there's a lot of energy around them and and for positive or negative. But for ours, it was about half and half, about half of the people, the trolls were actually helping us go viral by saying, this is ridiculous. But we were watching the sales numbers also go up, you know, at an incredible clip. And that was the moment when we were like, okay, I'm not crazy. This can be a thing. This is the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Just ahead, the chat continues, Finding Gold with Ian Foster. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. Cha-ching! It's a sound we all love. It means a sale, money. And it's the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y. Shopify gives you, the entrepreneur, the resources once reserved for big businesses. So upstarts, startups, and established businesses like yours can sell anywhere. With Shopify, you can synchronize online and in-person sales and effortlessly stay informed. And as you know, scaling your business is a journey of endless possibilities. I love how Shopify has the tools and resources that make it easy for any business to succeed from down the street to around the world. And all entrepreneurs have something to sell, whether it's a product or a service. Search for your category on Shopify. Go ahead and do that. And you're going to be amazed at the suggestions. Perhaps that's going to stimulate you to create another great product to sell. And cha-ching! And did you know that Shopify powers over 2 million businesses from first sale to full scale? 
So synchronize your online and in-person sales and gain insights as you grow with detailed reporting of conversion rates, profit margins, and beyond. Go to shopify.com slash Tony, all lowercase, for a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Grow your business with Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash Tony right now. Shopify.com slash Tony. And that's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash T-O-N-Y. All lowercase. And cha-ching your way to the top with Shopify. You're listening to The Tony D'Erso Show with special VIP guests. Now, back to Tony and his guest. All right, we're back on The Tony D'Erso Show where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Today's show is Finding Gold with Ian Foster. And check out my Elite Entrepreneur interviews on Apple Podcasts or you can find everything back to day one at Tony D-U-R-S-O dot com slash podcast and now back to the chat with ian then then i had to get some other people on board because it was just it was growing too fast for me to handle it alone so at that point ian it was just rolling well or did you have any big failure perhaps that or challenge that made you just want to throw in the towel and say oh my gosh man so So 2021, um, when I launched on the Kickstarter, we had developed the camera to the point where it was good enough to sell in the marketplace. Um, that's how far we were. Um, there were some things, but there's constant improvement with technology. You know, you constantly, there's, you know, maybe the white balance isn't quite where you want it to be. The microphone can be improved. There's lots of little things that you're constantly improving when it comes to, you know, technical gadgets like center cam. And so um, we weren't done, but we had a product that was good enough to launch. And that's a sticking point that I find a lot of, I have a lot of friends that get in their own way. They, they let the, the great be the enemy of the good, you know, or they try to over-engineer and they spend so much time building, building, building that they never actually test it and see if, hey, this could be viable. But for us, so we, we had that initial product. I had enough camera. I think I had like 400 cameras or something. I mean, it was pretty humble compared to where we, what, what we've done now, but um, I had that, you know, paid for, ready to, ready to ship. And then we ended up, um, selling, I think, uh, 620 uh, cameras in our Kickstarter. So I went with that, you know, Kickstarter money, bought a bunch more inventory, and then kind of heard crickets for about a month from our manufacturer. And I'd already bought product from them. I knew that product came pretty quick. And so I was like, hey, what's the deal? And they came back and said, hey, sorry, we can't buy the chip that we used to use in this camera. And we can't buy it at any price anywhere in the market. Remember, chipset shortage. Now we're kind of getting out of that as well. But 2021, the story in the tech tech industry was chipset shortage. Like GM Ford are still dealing with it. Um, Tesla was able to pivot. But I mean, even if you're not even very like if your algorithm, your Google News algorithm isn't like anything to do with tech, you probably heard about the chipset shortage. And so all of a sudden they had to re retool, re-chip the camera with a chip that was available. And then by that time, we're probably $250,000, $300,000 into the Indiegogo crowd rate, crowd fundraise. So we switched from Kickstarter, rolled it into an Indiegogo crowdfund. Um, in the meantime, while we're like getting product 
And then, I'll, and I had been messaging, Hey, we're about a month to, you know, 30 to 45 days out. Cause that's what I had purchased already. We'll come to find out. No, we were actually closer to five months out. And so I had, which is a very different number. And, um, I, I have kind of an overly developed sense of right and wrong and integrity. And that was a very uncomfortable position to be in. I'm the face and the voice in, of these messages. And all of a sudden I have to tell everybody, Hey, I'm sorry, you'll get your product. We're not just like living on a fancy Island on vacation with this money, like, but it's going to take some time. We've had to reach it. So that was a major, uh, sideways movement. That was a very difficult time for our company. I mean, everybody wanted it now and we couldn't provide it. And, um, we hadn't built the relationships with, um, major chip suppliers that we have now We're we're in the middle of building a new camera and we're going straight to the chip manufacturer. But at that time, there's no way they would have spoken with us. You know, we're just, we're nobody and we're a very small company. So yeah, that was crazy. It was a crazy pivot. That's highly stressful. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And on top of that, you're married and you have a new child and you're balancing life and work. So let's kind of go into that with all this. It's not just you're doing work. You've got major emergencies happening, but you also have a family. So let's talk about balance and balancing life and work. Yeah, that's, that's a really good question, Tony. And um, I got married late. I mean, I'm 43 and I just, we're about to have our two year anniversary. And um, I just had my first kid and um, she just turned nine months uh, tomorrow. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit late to the family game, but I, I like to think that I just needed a little bit more time. That's what I'm telling myself about that. And what that allowed me to do is just kind of learn how to manage my emotional state and not, I guess, not cross pollinate the emotions that you could feel in a day because um, just because things are going crazy in business at the end of the day, I've, I've had money and I've lost money. I've leveraged every asset that I have multiple times and I paid off the debt multiple times. And so I've been there with money. I can find enough to eat and pay rent, you know, or, or mortgage, whatever. Um, but it's important to me that I don't, um, no matter how crazy things are in the day, it's important for me to not put that off on my partner. That also comes from social work. I mean, I've had some crazy days. There's some investigations that I've been involved in from child protective services that I just, I'm never going to talk to anybody about. I don't even want to tell a therapist about like, that's just going to, it's going to die with me, you know? And that's just not energy that I want to put back out into the world. Um, I spend a lot of time studying too, because I know for me, I have a, I have a very active, emotional, inner emotional life. Like I, I feel, I feel things very deeply. And the problem with like those sorts of emotional swings of an artist, I'm a creative person and there's, I have an inner artist that just feels very deeply is sometimes you, you need to kind of squelch that so you can be steady enough to help other people be steady. And so I studied it. Like who are people that dealt with some crazy stuff? I've studied Abraham Lincoln and you think about what he dealt with in the civil war. How did he do that? He was a human and he felt things very deeply. And how did he deal with that? You know? And the, basically the answer is he, he just did, you know, he, he realized what he believed in the cause that he believed in was was solid enough that it was worth whatever it took to make it happen. And you think of all of our presidents, you look at Obama, you look at Biden, you look at anybody. Um, and 
you know, they're compartmentalizing a lot of those emotions. And so I, I, I learned that, that it's okay to do that. That's not a lack of genuineness or authenticity. You just have to do that as a mature adult. And so we would have some crazy days. I, there's some times I didn't know what to do. And, um, when you come home though, you, I mean, your family's always going to be there as long as you treat them as if they're always going to be there. And so I just make, make time every day. Um, luckily I do work from home, so there isn't a commute involved. I can take the micro times, um, that, you know, the micro moments, you know, throughout the day when I'm getting lunch to hang out with my baby for a minute and check in with my wife. Um, so I'm really lucky that way as a startup, you know, it takes the right partner too. I have a, I mean, my wife's amazing. She understands that um, sometimes I just have to work till midnight, one o'clock. I'm dealing with international suppliers and um, sometimes that's when the communication happens, you know, China wakes up at like eight in the morning or they wake up about 6 PM our time. So, you know, if you want to get anything done, you want to have two or three communications in an evening, like sometimes you're going till 11 or 12 at night. And so I guess the shorter answer to your question is that I do my very best to um, make sure that I'm having multiple moments that are meaningful in a day's time. And I, I do my very best to take the call whenever my wife calls or texts and respond to it to make sure that she knows that she's a priority, no matter what my, my busyness looks like. And then I also compartmentalize emotionally. And I don't, um, I never take that out on other people, you know, when things are going crazy. Um, I, I keep that in its own space. And then I let my family have the, the most stable nice version of me not that i'm an a-hole or anything but you know sometimes things get tense <laughs> ian you just mentioned getting advice from presidents past and present presidents and studying them and learning from them where do you go for your advice where do you go for mentors do you have someone that you consult with, that consults with you now how how does that fit and where do you where do you get your your wisdom and advice to keep on yeah, that's a great question too. Look at you. Um, <laughs> you've done this before, Tony. Uh, so my wife is incredibly wise. Um, she understands me in a way. That's why I married her. I, I felt like a genuine understanding of who I am and what I'm trying to accomplish. And um, which is, I think, different than managing other people. You know, I, I anyway, uh, she understand me in a way, understood me in a way that I really appreciated. And, and here we are. We got a kid now. I have a business coach. His name's Murray, and he's pretty good. I have a lot of friends. I've I started an entrepreneurial group back in college, and shoot, I, I mean that was right when I was about to buy my first home, and I just knew I needed to know so much more than I did. And so I invited all the young businessmen that I could think of that would accept the invitation, and we started having weekly meetings. And there's a core group of about seven or eight of us that have stuck together since college. And it's really interesting how diverse they are. We've got a couple of them that are in banking. All of them have some sort of real estate portfolio. There's a couple that are in e-commerce. Some are in just, you know, regular finance outside of banking. And um, I mean, really diverse expertise there. So from a business standpoint, and they're also good dudes. You know, they're people that really appreciate, they love their families and they treat them right. And um, they know that it's more about, there's more to life than, you know, making money. So. They're the right kind of people to have around me. I know we're kind of focused on one product. You talked about how things have changed and 
et cetera, et cetera. We have one product that's successful. It's a hit. What else is planned for the future? What do you see coming down the pike? Um, we have a couple of other products. Now the traveling is opening up. We're developing a couple of other travel products that we want to bring to market. I constantly go throughout my day and I have ideas for making products either better or new products that, I, and I, you know, I Google them to make sure they're not already out there. Um, one of my original ideas, I mean, this is back in my late teens was a hat stretcher. My, my baseball hat from my freshman year, it didn't fit me anymore when I got to be a senior, but I liked the hat and it was in good shape. It was a nice wool fitted hat. And so I thought, Hey, a hat stretcher. And then um, I didn't even circle back to that until recently. I went on Amazon and, and found a hat stretcher. It's this piece of wood with a little screw device in the middle of it. And it stretches my hats out. I don't have to produce that one is the point of that story. Somebody else did it and it's great. And you can get it on Amazon for like $17.95. But other ideas don't exist. We have a couple of travel products that don't exist right now. So that's what we're working on. And we also have accessory products too. Um, we, we're working on um, some lighting kits. Um, for our video conference, uh, a lot of people come to us. We have some a small light right now, but we're we're kind of growing in the whole video conference space. So we're working on some software for a virtual webcam. We have some lighting kits. So within Centergam, there's tons of room for development of new products. But then we have also some totally independent products. That makes me think uh, right now, the, the website that I've given out to the audience is thecentercam.com. These mm -hmm. other products, are they, would they all be? Uh, listed there do you think or perhaps uh, no they're going to be totally unrelated yeah it, it would be a, a totally different website well very good this has been very informative very interesting finding gold with ian foster you can find him again at thecentercam.com i think we found some gold there's always opportunities no matter what happens and it's just a matter i guess of how to look at it because you saw this need and you realized I think that was really the key is recognizing that it's an opportunity that you could actually go somewhere with. I guess unless you're looking, it'll just go over your head. Perhaps one final comment on the recognition that it is an opportunity to pursue. This is the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Just ahead, the chat continues, Finding Gold with Ian Foster. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. You're listening to The Tony D'Urso Show with special VIP guests. Now, back to Tony and his guest. All right, we're back on The Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Today's show is Finding Gold with Ian Foster. And check out my Elite Entrepreneur interviews on Apple Podcasts, or you can find everything back to day one at Tony D'Urso dot com slash podcast and now back to the chat with ian 
The whole process of learning how to recognize opportunities has been a journey for me. I wasn't born that way. I've always been creative, but knowing what to do with an idea, I've had a number of false starts along the way. And, you know, sometimes it got caught up in the mid to early 2000s. It was hard to find injection molding in the US. And if you could, you were looking at $40,000, $50,000 entrance fee plus business costs on top of that. And when you just had an idea, I mean, that's pretty expensive. Now, those costs, um, you know, some of those ideas that I had back in the early 2000s, I didn't A, have the business network, B, the money, C, the confidence to put it all together. I've spent a bunch of time figuring out all three of those things. And um, so it's just a different business environment for me. But I mean, for other people starting out, there's tons, like you said, I love the way you said that. I mean, there's opportunities everywhere. And a lot of times it just takes putting on different glasses and seeing things a little bit differently and not accepting the world that we see that that is the way that it is. And that has to do with social problems. It has to do potentially with romantic relationships. And it definitely has to do with gadgets. Um, Gadgets, new gadgets are coming around every day. So it just depends on uh, if you're willing to pay the price, go down the rabbit hole. And, uh, and sometimes the rabbit hole cho- chooses you. I mean, this process has been um, delightful for me. Like I, I couldn't stop, you know, along the way. I had to see this through. And um, those are the really exciting projects to get involved in where you just can't look away. You've got to keep on going. Find a project like that. You know, find a problem like that that you just have to try to solve and you're going to see some magic in your life. And I guess if you're seeing some success, you know, you've got something good. If you've seen some income or trolls, that was another comment I wanted to make. If a lot of trolls show up and say something, you know, you're hitting a nerve. So continue because they'll help you go viral. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was the thing. And it was really painful. You know, I, um, I mean, I put everything I have into this, you know, I, I was newly married, didn't have a lot of money. I'm, I'm, I know I'm about to run out of money if I actually push this ad campaign where it needs to go. And these trolls have the nerve to say, you know, it's stupid or whatever they said. And I knew mean, it was personal because I didn't have the validation that I have of the last year and a half of this idea really resonating with people early on in the process. That was also incredibly difficult for me to deal with because I was like, well, you know, well, what if the trolls get steam and all of a sudden this becomes a joke or whatever? But what I realized from the ad standpoint is that every troll that commented and then the other troll friends that commented again and just like had their little troll fest, all of that increased my ad algorithm and made the ad go viral. So without the trolls making those comments and liking and sharing and saying this is stupid. It wouldn't have gotten in front of so many true believers that actually do have the problem. They actually do want to connect with people online and they're like, oh my gosh, this is a tool I've been looking for. So, I mean, we learned to embrace the trolls pretty quickly and it was a different paradigm shift because I don't, you know, I don't know many people that outside of politics anyway, that enjoy being made fun of. And, but yeah, we, we embraced it. I am positive that trolls are paid by somebody because they don't listen to the podcast. They have no idea what you're talking about. They don't know the title of your podcast. They don't know your guest. They don't know what your guest is famous for. And they say something so bizarre off the wall. It's like, Are you talking to me? You know, it's just so weird. So somebody's got to be paying them because, hey, you can at least listen to the show and say something. But anyways. Yeah, well, some trolls are bots. But then, I mean, <laughs> based on my psychology background, I mean, I know the trolls, you know, their childhood was 
pretty difficult. So that's the humanity of it. Like, why would you spend your time online ripping people apart? Why would you do that? Ian Foster, thank you so much for helping us uh, on Finding Gold. I thank you so much for sharing with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Tony. Appreciate it. And here's an insider's brief about cyber attacks and what we can do about it. Now, cyber attacks have evolved over the past few years into market-moving moments, such as the Colonial Pipeline and JBS Meets Attacks that disrupted supply. The impact of this disruption is now being felt in higher prices for goods and services amidst record high inflation and supply chain strains. With us is Lamor Kessem, Principal Consultant, Cyber Crisis Management, IBM Security. Hi, Lamor, and welcome to the show. Good morning, Tony. How are you? I'm having a great day. Thanks so much. Lamor, can you walk us through some of the cyber attack trends of 2022 and what we've learned from these attacks? So one of the biggest takeaways from this year's report, which is an annual report that we do um, interviewing different companies of you know, what happened to them during a cyber attack and how much did they end up paying for different things and also for the entire uh, adverse event, this year report reveals that cyber attacks are not only getting more expensive than ever, they're also showing that consumers end up paying the price for those all-time high breach costs. So we're at $4.35 million at this point, which is a 13% increase over the past two years. Uh, and this means that cyber attacks are becoming market stressors. They're hurting the economy. They've been going on for years. But now at this point, there's so many of them and they're so costly that they're capable of stressing the economy the same way we'd see COVID or the war in Ukraine do um, causing supply chain delays and also higher costs than ever. Um, and it's not really a hard math to make. You know, companies have been stretched in. They have a lot of rising costs that they haven't seen, uh, you know, cost this high for about 40 years now. And then a cyber attack comes along. It's unexpected. It's very costly. And with these factors combined, those costs are being rolled over to customers. I see. And what factors are contributing to the cost and impact of cyber attacks? Some of the factors that are contributing to the high cost of cyber attacks are um, the fact that we're seeing more destructive attacks, more ransomware attacks. About 28% of all the breaches that we looked at came from these two types of attacks, which cause a very lengthy and costly recovery. So ransomware is when somebody locks, a criminal will lock up all the data the company has and, and deny them access to it. So Think about a hospital. You go to a hospital, they can't access any of your records, and, and you need medication, and nobody can access the information. So this can be a major thing in certain cases. Um, and then they ask for ransom. They say, if you give us so many million dollars, we're going to unlock the, the, the data. And the destructive attacks, they usually come from adversarial nation states that say, you don't pay us or whatever, you don't do this or that, we're going to destroy all the data, you can never recover it, and we're going to render devices inoperable. So these are the sort of attacks that are making things lengthier to recover from, and they are more costly as well. That is so horrible that these are happening at all. And how are these attacks impacting consumers and the broader supply chain? They're impacting consumers directly, right? It's a direct impact. Some of the cases that we're mentioning, you know, a pipeline, uh, the gasoline prices, went up sharply or a meat supplier, you'd get, you know, your meat is going to cost more. Here, si the consumers are footing the bill 
in the form of kind of a cyber tax, right? The costs are being passed down to them. So if there is a supply chain, let's say, you know, that exa- very simple example is you wanted to get a burger, right? And before it comes at, to that end product, it's gone through a few things like a meat supplier, maybe a logistics company, transportation, then it comes to the store and so forth. And if some parts of this supply chains have been impacted by cyber attack and all three or four different vendors had to increase prices, then at the end of the day, that hamburger is going to cost more. And it, it could be anything else, right? Uh, we're also seeing the impact to the backbone of the economy, to sectors known as the critical infrastructure, which is, you know, we'd included their uh, financial services, industrial, energy, transportation, healthcare, education, a few more. Um, and, you know, sometimes you hear these names and of, of sectors and you, you don't make the connection. But when we're talking about industrial, that could, you know, a cyber attack there can impact the baby formula shortage or any kind of thing that we're consuming every day or trying to use every day, like energy or transportation. Um, and then we either have, you know, disruption there that we can't use it, we can't get it, or if we can, we can only get it for a higher price. The more, how can businesses better prepare themselves for cyber attacks? The businesses uh, have already passed, move, uh, passed uh, the era where, you know, they can prevent the attack for sure. There's, it's not enough anymore. Cyber attacks are definitely multiplying, but business and infrastructures um, are not a lot more secure. There's not a lot of people in this industry, so there's a skill shortage. Businesses should turn their focus to detection and response. So they want to detect attacks as early as possible in the process in order to, you know, maybe stop them, contain them before they become really uh, widespread and, and more damaging, right? The more, let's say, a thief is in your home, the longer they dwell in there, the more stuff they're going to find to steal. It's the same thing when there's an attacker in the networks. The longer they're there, the more they're going to find and the bigger leverage they're going to have in the end, which makes an attack a lot more costly. Um, another thing that businesses can be doing is improving on their security automation using some artificial intelligence. They can use applications or solutions, but really just making their staff be able to focus on more important things than doing mundane tasks or repetitive analysis and stuff like that. That has been very helpful. We're seeing that um, it's not only helping prevent attacks, but also if something bad happens, businesses are able to recover sooner. Um, And of course, preparation, just in general, being prepared for stuff is a great thing, right? Um, If you know that an attack is probably imminent, the good thing to do is have a thought out plan in place of who is going to do what, how are you going to communicate and escalate, and who you need to report to, maybe a regulator or whatever else. And for ransomware specifically, that is a very like we said, lengthy and damaging attack, have a specific plan for what happens if there's a ransomware attack. What are we going to do? Do we consider paying a criminal? Do we not? Maybe it's illegal in our state and so on. And making sure that um, that preparation is in place and is drilled, not only by security staff, but also by the executive team. That's great advice. And where can our viewers go for more information? For more information, we can go to ibm.com slash security, or anybody can search um, the report's name, cost of a data breach on any search engine. That's excellent. Lamore, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Tony.
Hey, thanks for hanging out with me while I featured an elite entrepreneur who took his vision to reality. We discussed finding gold with Ian Foster. Now, as an entrepreneur, it's all about finding and recognizing a good opportunity that we feel that we can successfully tackle and win at. And while a real diver for real gold, Ian discovered gold in looking for a better way to connect with people online. He saw that there was a a need here for better engagement, human connection, and he wanted to improve that. And he came up with the center cam. And we we talked about his running two different GoFundMe uh, kickstarting type platforms here and what that took. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of money. And it's not it's not an easy thing. It's it's a career. It's a job. You really got to apply yourself to it. And then when you enter in the family, we talked about balancing life and work. And we talked about the type of guidance that he got. That was very interesting. First time anyone ever mentioned that they get guidance or has have obtained guidance from a past or present president. Very interesting. As well as he has a business coach and of course our spouse. Our spouse has helped us successful entrepreneurs so much. It's I, I could do a whole program on just how vital our spouse is in helping us succeed and just being there, even if it's just that litmus test or the barometer on I want to try something. You that are there, you know what I'm talking about. And let me leave it there with you. And you tell me, what did we discuss that resonated with you? What's your story? And please remember supporting the show with a nice review on Apple Podcasts. If you have any Apple device, you win, you qualify, would just absolutely love it. And of course, I say this all the time, share this with a few friends because it's friends helping friends that are going to get us through everything just fine. All right, let's use this and let's help you move on your journey to success. Thanks. Remember, just take action. Success awaits those who persevere and remain steadfast despite the odds. Sow good seeds, do good deeds, and join me on the next episode of The Tony D'Arso Show. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of The Tony D'Arso Show with his key influencers. Be sure to tune in again next Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. 